Ozzy Bear. And I'm Gonzo. And this is Ear Buddies. Buddy, uh... You know this already, but let me just tell a brief story to the army here, which is uh, that on Thanksgiving morning at my family's home, we were, you know, sort of milling about waiting for the festivities to begin. And so we turned on the television and opened up Disney Plus and found a holiday staple for me anyway, which is. The Muppet Christmas Carol. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. And there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. I would say it's the definitive uh, interpretation of the all-important Dickens work. Oh, absolutely. And how, yeah. This is not uh, a film podcast, so I'm not going to belabor the point but just to say it's it's incredible and it's incredible because of what else Matt the tunes from the very opening uh, when all the Muppets are talking behind Scrooge's back about how much of a stinker he is uh, to all the other t- uh, beautiful tunes that are shared by Muppets and otherwise in the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's just, I mean, I come back to it almost every year because I love these tunes. I mean, Michael Caine is great. A lot of, lot of reasons to love it. Yes. But um, the tunes bring me back over and over again. Tunes written by one Paul Williams... Uh, who got a shout out last week in in your solo app, Matt, as uh, as a frequent songwriter for the Carpenters? Yes, well, someone knows how to foreshadow. That's all I'll say. <laughs> You're a pro, and so I did what I have done a handful of times since Ear Buddies began, Matt. After kind of uh, daydreaming about how fabulous the music is in the Muppet Christmas Carol, the songs by Paul Williams, I did a little googling. I found his agent, found her email address, and uh, fired one off real quick. Just said, hey, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Wondering if Paul might want to join us uh, for a brief discussion about his career as one of the great songwriters of uh, the 20th century and the 21st century uh, on a little pod called Ear Buddies. It was one of those emails that I send, Matt. Again, I've done this every now and then with different uh towering figures in music. <laughs> um, you send it, and you don't expect anything back. You you send it, you forget it, and you move on with your life. But doggone it, Matt, wouldn't you know it? She said, yeah, Paul would love to talk. How's Friday? <laughs> a Thanksgiving miracle. Oh. Wow. What a, uh, what a momentous occasion for the Army, Matt. Yeah, I mean, Tim, this is, it's big. Um... It's big. This is, we want to talk to, well, each other, mostly. That's what this really is about. <laughs> mostly, yes. But we want to talk to people who care about the tunes 
And yes. if we can, if we could be so lucky, who have mm-hmm. done something and, and maybe shaped the culture in some way because of the tunes. And mm-hmm. Paul Williams, man, uh, that's, I mean, that's the guy. That's the guy, man. That's the guy. <laughs> so we, we had about a half hour with Paul to talk not only about the tunes, but also his role as an advocate for drug and alcohol recovery and uh, being an advocate for artists' rights. Some really great ground we got to cover here. Uh, and so without further ado, let's get into it. Our interview with Paul Williams. <laughs> Folks, we are uh, really incredibly lucky today to be joined by a very special guest. He is one of the most uh, respected and revered musicians, not just musician. I mean, he's an actor, uh, he's an advocate, he's all kinds of things. He's here with us on Ear Buddies. He's won an Oscar. He's won three Grammys. He's won two Golden Globes. Matt, do you have any of those? (laughs) I'm working on it, but not quite. You're working on it. That's okay. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He is Paul Williams, and he's joining us on Ear Buddies. Paul, thank you for being here. He's a very grateful, very lucky songwriter is what he is. And Matt, the answer to when he asks you that is just say, not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. That's right. That little twist of, of, of an attitude, of a mindset is worth a fortune in great experience and opportunity. Paul, and, and you know, thinking about experience and opportunity, I mean, uh, Matt and I have this this really intense interest in, we talk, we talk about the tunes a lot. We love just the craft of writing a great song. We, we think about it a lot on Ear Buddies. And your music is, I mean, it's legendary. We've only just begun to live white lace and promises a kiss for luck and we're on our way we've only begun and you know you've got decades on your resume of creating these songs that people you know, people love and cry over and and, and celebrate and, and cheer about to this day. How do you think about your own music at this point in your career? When you look back at all the work that you've that you've put on tape, uh, how do you think about it? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is that is that they did so well in spite of the fact that they weren't necessarily down the pipeline rock and roll hits. They were just you know. They're basically, I, I wrote a lot of codependent anthems, you know, the Alex Mommy <laughs> songs, pick me up and love me because I need it, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I think that there's a, a huge lesson. Uh, you know, to describe what I have, you know, best learned about the process of writing a song and connecting with other people, I'd love to tell you a quick story about my brother. My little brother was, was named Mentor Williams. He was six foot two. I'm five foot two. Uh, he was six years younger. Than me. He's passed away since then, about in 2016. Uh, but he wanted to be a songwriter like his little big brother. Mm-hmm. So I, at the time, was doing really well. And I, like the early 70s, I, I had an office at A&M Records where I was a contract writer. And my brother came out to join us, and he said he wanted to be a writer like his brother, a songwriter. 
got him a little starter deal at A&M Records, a little six-month deal at A&M Records. And he was writing kind of rock and roll gospel, uh, I thought really good stuff nobody was listening to. And he was listening to the radio. And he'd kind of go, oh, I get it, I get it. That's what's doing, that's doing. He was writing and he was listening to the radio and, I, and nothing was happening. Nobody would listen to anything past the second verse. And if, so he lost his deal. I mean, it was the last, it was a Saturday, and on Monday he had to clear, clear out his office at A&M Records. A&M Records was on the old Chaplin lot, a great old movie lot. And I had an office there, my writing partner, Roger Nichols, it was all, the Carpenters, all those people were there. Uh, so he's in his office on a Saturday where it's pouring rain, and he's thinking, what am I doing wrong? He's looking out and it's just, you know, he's like, he's depressed, he's confused. And he picked up a yellow pad and a pencil and he wrote, day after day I'm more confused. Yet I look for the light in the pouring rain. You know, that's a game I hate to lose. I'm counting on you to carry me. Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I won't get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. He wrote a, what has become a rock and roll anthem. And I wrote it from the center of his chest, and he wrote about who he was at that moment, and people loved it. And I think there's a huge, huge uh, bumper sticker for all of us on, in a way, how to live our lives. You know, if I can, you know, feel like I don't have to pretend to be somebody else, I don't have to do a lot of drugs and alcohol to bump my ego up to where I can face life. If I can stay in this moment and share what I'm feeling, there's a pretty good chance that other people feel the same thing. I think it's a great way to describe what I've discovered about songwriting is that I was a hit songwriter, ha have been a hit songwriter in spite of myself. I just, you know, every now and then I try to write that rock and roll anthem that everybody's going to love and it doesn't happen. And then I write something like, I won't last a day without human people <laughs> respond to it. <laughs> good story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah wow that's incredible yeah i had, i didn't had no idea wow that's amazing and you know this this idea of writing uh you know from the from your chest like you said and and you know really getting to the core of yourself um can i ask uh you know i i am most you know my entry point to your music paul was the muppets and sure. um I remember being, I think, 10 years old or so and watching the Muppet movie with my family sure. and being blown away by the Rainbow Connection. And there are so many good songs on in that film. But to me, the Rainbow Connection is it's this transcendent thing in such a striking way to open what is ostensibly a, a kid's movie, right? It's, it's Kermit sitting there uh, with his banjo and he is waxing philosophical. Uh, can you talk to me about that? Well, let's see. You know, first of all, I I, I had just written uh, most of *A Star Is Born*, and on that I brought in Kenny Asher to write with me. And I love Kenny Asher's music. I write basically the lyrics; he writes music. We kind of go back and forth a little bit. We write pretty much at the same time, as opposed to me writing lyrics to a finished melody by somebody like I did with Roger Nichols and the Carpenters stuff. Mm -hmm. But so when when Jim asked me to first to do Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas, first thing we ever did together, and then asked if I'd write the songs for for the Muppet movie, 
the first thing I said was, you know, let me bring Kenny Asher in because, you know, he writes these beautiful, classy melodies, you know, and, and you know, you deserve that. Kermit deserves that, you know. So <laughs> so Kenny and I sat down and it's like the thing is when you're writing for a, a project like for any for any film or a stage play or, or a, the thing is you write, want to write songs and do two things. They want they advance the story. And that the songs that 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 will give you a look into the inner lives of the characters. So we're looking at the lead character. We're looking at the Jimmy Stewart of It's a Wonderful Life. We're looking at Kermit, you know, in the Muppet movie. This is the guy, and he has that kind of energy. I mean, and when things are going nuts around him, he kind of calms things down and looks for a way out that's that's the, the most painless. So we're trying to do, what are we going to write? And what we what we did first is we said, what's the what's the peak of this kind of song? I mean, where have we heard something like what we're trying to write that is perfect? And the thing that we both turned to each other and said is, when you wish upon a star, hmm. when when Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio climbs up into I don't know if you've seen it or not, yeah. but maybe you have. And uh, if you haven't, there's a wonderful moment when Jimmy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket climbs up into the, the underneath the skylight in the night sky and he takes off his his top hat and he sings when you wish upon a star and it's just it's just stunning and it's like if if that doesn't open your heart nothing will it's just wow so that's what we wanted to do and what we did is we did that what looked like the probably worst opening you could write for a song to sing about the magic whatever he lives in in the swamp so he's got water he's got air he's got light he's got refracted light he's got rainbows it's the one thing that's mystical that he would have there so we write the opening two lines that just deny any possible magic in rainbows. Think about it. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. Rainbows have nothing to hide. And we're like, oh, Jesus, that was brilliant. We just denied <laughs> any you know, mysticism, any magic in rainbows. Look what, but look what the universe did for us. Because at that moment, what happens is Kermit steps away from the lectern. He, you know, walks away from, sits metaphorically, sits down with the audience, and goes. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know the wrong way to see. Someday we'll find it. The rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. He stops being something that is separate from the audience. He becomes a human being with that hunger and that hope and is able to sit there and experience the song with the audience. So I think one of the things that, and if it's not anything we did on purpose, it was an accidental gift. It was, you know, no is a gift in my life. And no, no was just like, no, you're not going to open it the way you thought you're going to open it. You're going to open it like that. And look at the gift you get. All of a sudden, you make Kermit a part of the world that he's speaking for and to. And uh, it is just it's it's just been marvelous watching the spirit of Jim Henson live on in that song. That's incredible. I mean, I you know we were we were very excited to to get you on, Paul, because I mean, for me, Tim, and I, you're probably in the same boat. But I have a list of a pretty short list of just songs that musically and lyrically I think are flawless. And that what's great about the Rainbow Connection uh, is that 
you know, you hear it when you're, you're younger. Right. But then I keep coming back to it over and over and, and musically and lyric, like you you didn't even get to the, the verse, uh, who said that every wish, right? Like that for me, that's like, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And Mm. I just, I love that it was, you know, that Kermit was the vessel through, (laughs) through which that was, uh, was stated. Well, you you speak to something that is actually my philosophy because I believe the thoughts become things, and and so the heart of the song, in what you just talked about, it is 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 you know, who said that every wish would be heard and answered if wished on a morning star. Somebody thought of that, and someone believed it. Look what it's done so far. It speaks to faith. It yeah. speaks to the power of of thought. You know that somebody somebody thought of that, shared it with somebody that believed it, and the power of that faith took them to the point where you know Orson Welles says, "You know, bring it out the standard rich and famous contract." You know, uh, so it's it's interesting because the the content of the song as is is pretty much you know uh, I think uh, uh, inspired by by a spiritual awakening and a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And yet the, you know, the, 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 the payoff for it is Orson Welles reaching for the standard rich and famous is something that is so, you know, simple and, and just, I mean, just, it's the essence of, of the Muppets is that they have managed to, to in, in plain frog language and whatever <laughs> Gonzo is. <laughs> I managed, managed to say things that spoke to just our very core, I think. And well, that's, that's what I tried to do. Yeah, that's that's a really good, because I, I was going to ask about that. Um, so I know you've, I'm sure you've been asked this probably thousands of times in your life, but, you know, when you are writing for the Muppets, right? Like, I've I've heard, and you can confirm this or, or deny it, but like, you think of them not as puppets, right? I mean, they're, they're, how I guess how do you think of these these beings when you're writing songs for them to to perform? You know, if you spent two minutes on the set and Frank walked up with Piggy on his arm, and and uh, Jim walked up with Kermit, you'd realize that there were five of you in the conversation <laughs> because Frank is the dearest, nicest man, and and. Just a wonderful, gentle spirit, and so is Kermit. I mean, and so is Jim. But Kermit, and especially Piggy, will say things to you that would just wait a minute. I mean, is this a little? Is this, is this little ass going to write a decent tune for me? I mean, it's just things come out of Piggy that are are, are shocking. It's just shocking. I mean, the level of mental, you know, and it. And I just, I never, ever felt, first of all, I, I, when I met Jim, I was already a huge fan. When I met the, when I showed up on the set of The Muppet Show in England, I mean, I'm walking around like a kid, you know, in, in a candy store. These are, it's, it's like for the first time in my life, I felt like I had just joined a gang that had a treehouse, you know. So we're up <laughs> in the treehouse. There's just silliness and great laughter and uh, it's it was the best sandbox i ever played in and it was just that 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 feeling of just but the only thing that i ever that i ever found that matched it is when i quit drinking i'm sober 33 years and when the first time that i sat in a room with a bunch of recovering alcoholics and just went wow the cravings are gone <laughs> 
wow, what happened? Wow, this is going to be fun. It's funny because most people think, oh, recovering alcoholic, that can't be any fun. Trust me, it's great fun. (laughs) The craziest people in the world are all of a sudden safe to be around. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) So I talk about that a lot. I tell you, you know, there are two things that I'm passionate about. One is recovery. The other one is music creators' rights. And that's a big part of my life right now. And I've never stopped writing. I'm right, right now I'm writing Pan's Labyrinth with Guillermo del Toro for the stage with, with mm. Gustavo Santolaya and Jeremy Unger writing the book. It's just, I mean, it's like what a great place to, what great way to live my life. It's like we're playing, we're playing cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians, you know, Muppets and, <laughs> and, and agents. I don't know what, what the latest would be, you know. But, yeah, I love my life. Love my life. Speaking about these things that you that you are uh, passionate about, um, well, Matt and I are both also really interested in kind of what the digital age has meant for musicians, um, and it has meant some good things and it has meant some really bad things. You know, when you look at the state of music and especially like music consumption, Paul, in twenty twenty three, almost twenty twenty four now. Um, you know, what do you see as as like the most important thing that, that you're thinking about on that front? Well, you know, I work for ASCAP. You, you knew that? Mm-hmm. Yep. ASCAP is, is a membership organization, is a performing rights organization. When music is played on radio, on, on Spotify, on, when it's sung in bars and bars, uh, there's a performance royalty involved. We, we're a pre-RO. We're a performance rights organization we we license the music of everybody from from beyonce and paul mccartney to to the gershwins and since 1972 paul williams has been feeding his family putting gas in the car to drive the kids to to school with you know with the the support of ascap we're over a million members Mm -hmm. we're like right at a million members uh we're a hundred and we're 114 years old i believe 114 but when you think about it, when music is performed, there is a royalty. And the, the ways that music is delivered has changed through the years. And there have been real challenges and real opportunities at every change. You know, when you went from from uh, a vinyl and when you went from three networks and, and uh, uh, you know, a, a top 40 radio station in every mm-hmm. town to to just the tsunami of of opportunities to to go and enjoy content i don't do content we do songs <laughs> we do song scores we do we, you know we're, we we make music we create music and what you, what you have have found in in the it's you know as you entered into the cyber world you know and the music streaming especially that the that that the value of music has not changed, but what we've been paid for it is, has been grossly under what it deserves. Mm-hmm. And we we work at that. I, I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. ASCAP has been a, a, a massive advocate for music creators' rights, and, uh, and it's getting better and better and better, but with each challenge... Uh, you you know you have you have new opportunities to a be scared to death and do nothing or dive in and and uh, a classic example right now is, is AI is artificial mm-hmm. 
it's like because the fact is i think ai is going to be great for for medicine i think mm -hmm. you know cancer and the like is probably going to get cured a lot quicker with ai uh but the fact is when when ai is used to create songs what they're using is a set of, they have trained the, the the you know the computers on the world's culture including all of our music yeah. we're to be compensated for it ai uh, ascap has six principles of ai which basically cover the things that we really need to be to be protected we don't need to be regulated we need to be protected mm -hmm. you know we want to have the right of consent the right to say no we want to mm -hmm. have credit on there we want to have transparency we want to know when you're using our music to train your computers and we want to know what's coming out the other end we want uh, we want globally we want the same kind of platform so we, we don't have different systems for uh for every country uh, let's let's make this as easy as possible you know to figure out what's being played how it's being created and all and you know let songwriters and, and composers and all use ai as a tool but we are human first you know yeah one of the interesting things about copyright law is, is that if a gorilla takes a photograph, a beautiful photograph, it cannot be copywritten because it was not created by a human. That's good for all of us humans. Yeah, so, there you go. Oh, I, yeah. did, I did play an orangutan once, but... <laughs> But uh, I have no empathy for for you know them and, and the right to copyright. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, but it's you know, and there's and the thing is that the the staff and you know the, the just basically the 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 industry you know as I think coming together around this and and try, trying to do exactly what's best to take to take care of songwriters. But ASCAP is is the only non for profit performing rights organization in the United States. Uh, and and uh, I'm just really proud of, of my association with ASCAP. Well, you've got our vote. We've, uh, we, <laughs> not too long ago, talked about uh, how, I mean, expressing sort of the same concerns about AI and the idea of human creation uh, seemingly being less... Um, less prioritized these days so yeah. um, couldn't agree more with with you paul yeah yeah and you know i said i'm told that something like 60 percent of the people that have created ai or have the same open the door hell concerns that we do <laughs> hell open the door yeah sorry dave sorry dave i wrote the second verse and i want part of that <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's going to end up yeah <laughs> we'll work it out when it's like you know at, you know you, you as crazy as the world is right now and all there's there are times when it just feels you know that, that it feels almost hopeless so how do you how do you straighten out the conflicts right now and, and get people you know what happened to the elegance of kindness where has the elegance of kindness going and it, it's still here. There are spectacular, kind people doing amazing work, and uh, and the best part of my life is that I've been able to to you know whether it's the, the staff at ASCAP or or Jim Hanson, I seem to have found just the best people to work with. Now you guys, now we're stuck. <laughs> yeah. Wow. On that note, Paul, I th I think uh, we can we can add to that list of I mean, what's making the world better? I think is. Uh, the kind of words that you are putting into the world through your music. And um, 
we couldn't be more grateful for for the stuff you've done for the art you've created and given us and certainly for the time you've given uh, all of us at your buddies here paul thank you so much i really appreciate it i enjoyed it talk again sometime absolutely thank you paul i enjoyed every bit of that what the hell <laughs> Well, we'll we'll have to hit you up soon. (laughs) Thank you so much. Hope there's a next time. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Holy smokes, bro. (sighs) (laughs) Wow. (sighs) This is... uh... This is the mountaintop, man. Don't you love the view? (laughs) It's a watershed moment. Uh, I mean, hey, we're not too cool here mm-hmm. uh we're not going to pretend that that was just all in a day's work for the ear buddies um army that uh right that's pretty good that's pretty yeah. good not every day we've got uh academy award winners on ear buddies but as he said matt maybe future you know we don't we don't want to we don't want to give up hope and i've got more hope right now than i've had in a long time <laughs> i don't know about you you're gonna write that <laughs> score that's right you're gonna go to the <laughs> Tony's, you're going to do it all. I'm going to do it all. Uh, Talk to you later, buddy. Talk to you later, pal.